0: We have been outside of our normal sermon series as of late and so we're returning today to the Gospel of Luke. So I wanna encourage you to take your copy of God's word and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. We're gonna be looking at the first 10 verses there this morning, Luke 1 through 10, as we return to our exposition of Luke. We've been in Luke for a good while now and so coming back to it this morning, we just spent five weeks in Isaiah, now back to Luke chapter 17. And looking forward to our time in God's word this morning. Let's hear God's word as we look at the first 10 verses. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse one. These are words Luke penned, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea then that, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will anyone, of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will, not he, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he, think that, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants and we have only done what was our duty. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us understanding of it. Lord, as we consider this passage today, would you instruct us in what it means to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you help us, Lord, to understand these words and to live them out for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is indeed a big day for Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. It's not every day that you get to break ground for a new facility. And Indeed, this has been a day we've been dreaming about and praying towards for quite some time. And even though we're still just at the beginning of this, we still have some time, months, maybe over a year or so before we're actually in a building that's our own. And yet we're excited to be able to be taking these steps together today. You know, I thought a lot about, well, what could we say this morning in our worship time that would kind of set us up well for the groundbreaking? And so, as any pastor will do whenever they're facing a unique opportunity, they'll go searching the Scriptures for just that right text for a groundbreaking service. And some of you are already thinking, Luke 17, 1 through 10. I'm not sure, Adam, how you're going to get there. Uh, just hang with me. Uh, but, I mean, I thought a lot uh, of what we could say. There are, there are a lot of building projects in the Bible. Noah's Ark, but it took Noah 120 years to build it, and not only that, it was a tool by which God gave Noah and his family to escape judgments. So I thought that wasn't quite fitting. Then there's the Tower of Babel. Well, it was a building project that was never completed and it only ended up in confusion. You have the Egyptian store cities. These cities were built by the slave labor of God's people under oppressive conditions. Not quite encouraging. Then there is the temple. You have a couple different versions of the temple, don't you? You have Solomon's elaborate temple. You have Zerubbabel during the time of rebuilding after exile. And then Herod later on kind of expanded the temple and made it something greater. But just thinking of Solomon's temple alone, the the, the elaborate glorious temple there in the Old Testament, it was paneled with cedar, floored with cypress, inlaid with gold throughout. Impressive. Not quite what we're after, especially with building costs today. Not to mention the temple only had a temporary purpose. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit in which God resides in. And so theologically it wasn't quite appropriate for us to focus on a building project and, and draw from the temple. But then you have the walls of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of Jerusalem after exile, and Ezra, and Nehemiah, we could go there. Many a church has done so for a building project. And again, we could do that, but it's not exactly what we're doing. We're not building walls, we're not rebuilding a city. And not only that, we're not building with one tool in our hand and a weapon in the other to fight off the enemy as we seek to try to rebuild. Not quite exactly where we are. Well, if you look in the New Testament, you don't exactly find things much more appropriate. You have the Tower of Siloam, for example, just in Luke. It collapsed and killed 18 workers. Then there's the rich man's barns from the parable we saw earlier through the Gospel of Luke. But they were built to accumulate possessions. Plus, the rich man died as soon as the last one was built. wasn't able to make use of them. So we could look at various building projects in the Bible, and and I think in some degree, all of them fall short. They're not quite appropriate as far as where we're heading. They have their place in the Bible, but none of them really set the scene for what we're about to journey in together. And in fact, there's one noticeable reality about all of them. They all had a limited duration. In fact, you can't go and visit any of them. Maybe the Jerusalem walls, you can go there and see some uh, remnants of those. But all of them had a limited purpose, limited duration. Well, as a church, we're about to take a next big step in our journey together as we break ground today in order for Redeeming Grace to put down roots in this community. Monies have been raised and continue to be raised. By the way, in your giving through the Putting Down Roots campaign, we just hit the million-dollar mark this past week of your generous giving above and beyond your normal giving towards this effort. Plans have been drawn and redrawn and redrawn some more. Countless hours in meetings. And here we are, this thing's about to happen. And we realize that the Lord has blessed us with a great opportunity to have a great tool through a building, and yet it too will have a limited duration, a limited scope and purpose. By God's grace, hopefully it will last for generations to come and we pray that it will. So as we think about what we're heading into today, it's important to, to say this, what we build matters. Yes, the structure is vitally important and praying that it lasts for decades and generations to come, but I'm talking about what will actually meet within that structure, what we utilize that structure to accomplish in the lives of men, women, and children, that will ultimately be what we build, what matters most, our priorities over the weeks, the months, the years, the decades, and generations to come. Yes, in fact, this building is going to be a great tool. We're looking forward to it with excitement but the God we serve and the mission to which he has called us is greater. This building will be good, it be a great tool, but it's not an end, it is only a means to a greater end. And that's what I want us to think through this morning. That's what I wanted to highlight using Luke chapter 17 this morning as we pick back up in this gospel. What you find in this context is Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's calling them to embrace a life with, we could say a lasting impact, a lasting duration. Yes, our lives and even our buildings will have an expiration date, but our witness and our ongoing impact will not. So, as we think through what's before us today, as we think through this passage, I think a good question is this, what is it about redeeming Grace Baptist Church that warrants us putting down roots as a permanent visible witness to this community. Why would we do that? Well, here in Luke chapter 17, what we see is Jesus instructs his disciples, we see what we can say three characteristics of growing disciples that are right here in this text. And as we walk through these characteristics of growing disciples, I think it's important to see what Jesus is getting at here in their lives individually, We could certainly apply this to our life corporately as a congregation. We know much of the scriptures are written not just to individuals, but to a corporate context, the church. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, I want us to consider three characteristics, not only of growing disciples, but three characteristics that ought to mark a lasting community of believers. Let's look at them together. What is it that we're called to build? We're called to build a lasting community, but we're called to build a community, number one, that is centered on the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses one through four, Jesus addresses his disciples in regarding sin and temptation, and here he says to them, temptations to sin or temptations to stumble are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. This this call this this warning here. He's he's particularly, he's actually talking about a particular sin. He, he's talking here about the temptation to stumble, to apostasy, to, to apostatize, to depart the faith. Likely, he has in mind here someone falling away from the faith through the embrace of false teaching especially with the context of the Pharisees that have been following Jesus along through this gospel and their false teaching. And he's warning here that, listen, be careful, be careful. There are temptations to sin, they're sure to come. Yes, we could apply that to any sin, but particularly here, he's talking about the sin to stumble away from the faith, to embrace a teaching that will take you away from the gospel. In fact, in verse 2, he goes on to say it would be better to die a terrible death than to cause one of these little ones, a a kind of an intimate reference to his people, his disciples, to stumble, to abandon the truth of the gospel and leave the faith. Thus the exhortation we find in verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. He's, he's He's instructing his disciples, pay attention to yourself, make sure you are being faithful to what you teach, to what you hear, lest anyone would be led astray and stumble and abandon truth and righteousness." Brothers and sisters, that's what we do each week here with this body of believers. That's what we're doing each week in our sermons, in our Bible studies, in our home groups, in our book circles, in our discipleship groups. We're in essence helping each other pay attention. We're coming alongside of each other and saying, listen, we need to pay attention to what the truth is, to what the gospel is, so that we do not stumble and abandon it. It's one of the importance of the local church where we can come together in a covenant together and be together as brothers and sisters to encourage each other, to exhort each other, to warn each other, to help each other pay attention to the truth. That's exactly what we're called to do. We must be a people that are building up one another in truth and righteousness by instructing in what is true and guarding one another from error. I love what Paul says in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. In fact, fact, he says there, beginning in verse 1, he says, now I would remind you, brothers." so he's writing to the church as a way of reminder, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. It's interesting, sometimes we as Christians think that we believe the gospel so that we can become a Christian and then we kind of graduate to other deeper things. And here Paul is saying, no, church, I am reminding you of the gospel, that which is foundational to you and to your existence, that which you need to stay firm towards and upon so that you do not depart from it. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know what Paul says there. He is calling the church of Corinth to... Be reminded of the gospel because the gospel is of first importance. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his righteous life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, this good news of redemption is of first importance. And we, as the people of God, need to pay attention to what is of first importance. That's what we're built upon, that's what we grow in, that's what we're encouraged by. In fact, Friends, if you're here today and if you're not a Christian, we would simply say, this is your hope. This is your hope, we're we're delighted. If you're watching on our live stream, if you're here today and you're wondering what this Christianity is about, this is what it's about. That God is holy and he is righteous, he is the sovereign creator of the universe and that we are not. We've rebelled against him. We have sinned and fallen short of his glory and we deserve his judgment. And yet God in his kindness and grace has sent a savior into the world to live a life of righteousness, the life we should have lived but didn't. But yet die upon the cross to be the sacrifice for sin, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be cleansed. And three days later he was raised from the dead to show his power and victory over sin, death, and the grave once and for all. And the Bible says that if you would trust in him if you would put your hope in him, he would cleanse you of sin and he would save you. You could become a child of God. So we would hold that out for you, not only to consider, but to embrace as your hope. But he goes further in verses three and four here in this text to exhort the disciples in their relationship to one another. He says, if someone sins against you, rebuke him. If they repent, forgive them. And in fact, if they keep doing this, You're called to forgive them as long as they repent. Jesus here is showing that our faith is not a private matter, but one with implication for the broader community. He's showing the importance that the gospel plays in the lives of believers. People that are transformed by the truth of Christ and centered upon the gospel of grace. He's showing this very clearly here when he's emphasizing the seriousness of sin and the call to forgive. Where do we learn how to do that? Where do you learn how to deal with sin? You learn it from the gospel. You learn forgiveness by the God who grants it freely. You look to him. You watch how he accomplishes restoration and forgiveness in the lives of people. And we're called to be a people who know how to deal with sin, but also to be a people who practice forgiveness. A culture of grace is what we're called to embrace. That rhymes. Not on purpose. And only by centering our lives on the gospel does this happen. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to build something that lasts, if we're going to build something that lasts until Jesus comes again, it will be that we build a people whose lives are transformed by the gospel and centered upon this same gospel as we live out lives in relationship to one another. One of the main reasons we are putting down roots in this community as a church is because we are unapologetically committed to this good news, to this gospel and this gospel alone. This is not just one among many that we've just happened to choose, kind of fits us, right? No, this is the only hope the world has. This is the only way salvation happens. The only way for your sins to be forgiven is through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And we're unapologetically committed to that. It's because of this gospel, it's because of this inerrant word of God that we want to plant ourselves as a permanent witness in this community to declare these glorious truths until Christ returns. Think about that. We we actually have the audacity to believe. We actually have the audacity to believe that we and everyone else in this community are sinners. It's not so popular in the world today to say that, but we have the audacity to believe it. To actually believe that there's a holy God and creator of the universe who is flawless and majestic and glorious and sovereign and mighty and, and wonderful and worthy to be praised and that none of us are Him that all of us fall short of his holy and righteous standard. And yet, not only that, we have the audacity to believe that this same holy God desires to reconcile sinners to himself and to embrace us despite how wicked and evil we are. The main reasons we are taking these great pains to raise money, to go through construction, is not ultimately to say to the community, hey, look at our building. It'll be a nice building. But that's not the ultimate reason to, to, that we're doing this. The main reason we are seeking to put down roots in this community is because we believe that our community needs to hear this message, to be changed by this gospel. This community needs more not less, more healthy, thriving, gospel-centered communities that are proclaiming the truth of who God is and who we are and how we can be reconciled to him. We need churches that show how the gospel shapes and governs our lives as we relate to one another in extending grace and forgiveness to each other. We are people who are built on the truth of God's word and a people who value grace. We believe we have something lasting to proclaim. And the fact is, is that we want to do so weekly. We wanna expand opportunities to do so where we can invest in the lives of others on a more regular basis to to maximize, not restrict, but to maximize ministry effectiveness in this community because we believe the gospel is something that people need to hear and be transformed by. We wanna develop this culture of grace, this culture that is built on grace and that extends grace to one another. We live in a day today where, where, where this whole new verbiage that we hear of the cancel culture. Listen, we're not about a cancel culture. We're about a grace culture where you can come in your ugliness and your sinfulness and no, you're not going to be canceled because we don't like something about you. No, you're going to be welcomed because God delights in you and he wants to forgive you of your sins. That's what we're about. We're called to be a community centered on this gospel, that we would pay attention to this gospel and that we would not drift from it, but to stay rooted in it. That's reason number one. I told you we'd make some sense of this text. Number two, we're called to build a community grounded in faith. Look at verses five and six. Could have been that the apostles hear this instruction by Jesus about paying attention and extending forgiveness, and they might have found that really difficult to hear. Could have been that, or maybe this is a different context, but, but regardless, the apostles respond to Jesus with this simple request, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, a mulberry tree would be a big tree with an extensive root system. So it's not something you just go pluck up, right? It's a big tree you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, which is ridiculous, right? You just say it. If you had faith, just a mustard seed's tiny. If you had just a little faith, you could say to this massive tree, be uprooted and go into the sea and it would be done. So what's going on here? See, the disciples seem to be wrestling with, with, with faith and they've, they've seen how faith is important in life and in ministry as as Jesus has often responded to people with faith by forgiving them and healing them. You've seen example after example after example that so-and-so was healed. Why? Because they had faith. So they know the centrality that faith plays in their lives and, but notice what he does. He responds to their request, but but he alters it a bit. He calibrates their request. He says, if you had faith, They're asking increase our faith and and he's saying if you had faith even a little bit, you could do great things. So the disciples know the importance of faith and Jesus wants them to understand though that even a small amount of genuine faith can lead to incredible, ridiculous kinds of things. He's not so interested in his followers having a great faith as he is in his followers having a genuine faith. There is a potential error that Jesus wants to correct here in the disciples' request. He's not rebuking them. He's he's helping them. He's he's instructing them here. So this potential error, what would that be? Well, I think Pastor Dale Ralph Davis highlights this well. He talks about faith, and he says this. He says, faith by definition clings to God, casts itself upon God's power, rests in God's strength, and relies upon God's adequacy. Then he says this. We must not make an idol out of our faith. Our help is not in our faith or in the amount of our faith, but in the Lord to whom faith clings. Think about that for a minute. He says, we must not make an idol out of our faith. Our help is not in our faith or in the amount of our faith, but in the Lord to whom our faith clings. There's a real temptation to make an idol out of our faith. A request for an increased faith could actually be an act of unfaithfulness, depending on our motive. In other words, pursuing great faith could make God unnecessary if he is not the object of it. One of the continual things we must remind ourselves is that we ought to be a people of faith. But we're not running around with faith meters trying to figure out how much faith you actually have. We're simply called to trust the Lord, to cling to the Lord. Even if you're weak and and your faith is wavering, to cling to the Lord. And even through weak and wavering faith, God can do glorious things. And if you're tempted to to focus on the amount of your faith, then, then the object has become you. Faith has to have an object, and it is, trust me friends, it should not be you. It should not be me should be the Lord. As brothers and sisters, as a church family, we are called to continue to trust the Lord. One of the things we must continue to proclaim, cultivate, and model here at Redeeming Grace is that we are to be a church with a genuine faith. I I could care less if people out in the county and in other places say, that church, they have a great, they have great faith. No, I want them to say, they have faith, they trust the Lord. God is great. And despite our feeble efforts to trust, I want to be known as a people in this community that is trusting God so that he gets the glory. We don't want our faith to get the glory, we want God to get glory. Friends, and that means we must be a people who know, and I know you know this church, that we are a people who serve a really big God. And we want to continue to proclaim this really big God to this community and to the ends of the earth. We want to be a place where people are gathering and taught more and more and more about the sovereignty, the holiness, the righteousness, the majesty, the glory of this great and awesome God. We want to be a place, a community of believers where God is so big that we trust him even with the littlest of things. Redeeming Grace is a group of believers who have a big God theology, and we know that he, God, can do all he pleases. And we have a stewardship to help others come to know this sovereign God that we know and that we worship. We have a stewardship to reach others in this community to disciple them so that they can exalt the Lord, equip others, and engage the world with this same news and hope that we share. We need to be a community of people that cultivate genuine faith. And we do that by pointing people to the greatness and glory and power of God. But not only that, number three. We're called to build build a community devoted in humble service. In verses 7 through 10, Jesus continues to instruct his disciples. In in view of having faith in this big God, Jesus now goes on to illustrate the kind of attitude that ought to mark believers as we serve this God. Sometimes the temptation exists among Christians that, that, Maybe when we do something for the kingdom of God or for the Lord that we, we kind of want to be patted on the back for it. Sometimes there's the temptation that we seek a reward or some kind of recognition in our service when that's not at all what we should be pursuing. Jesus uses this parable here, this parable of sorts, using a master-servant relationship to, in, to ultimately illustrate a very important truth. He shows through this illustration that a servant, when completing his chores, would not just suddenly sit down at the master's table, nor would a master necessarily be compelled at that point to thank the servant for doing what the servant was responsible to do in the first place. In other words, service does not entitle one to a seat at the table or a thank you card from Jesus. We serve as unworthy servants. Do you see that's the punchline there Jesus makes? He uses that picture. And in verse 10, so you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This mentality, this attitude of humility and gratitude in our service to God. Our obedience does not obligate God to do anything for us. Listen, if you think that, you're getting the gospel backwards. (laughs) He's done amazing for us already. I mean, think about that. We, as recipients of grace in the gospel, already have a seat at the master's table. We've been loved from before time. We've been pursued, called, adopted as sons and daughters. We've had our sins forgiven, and we've been promised a glorious eternity. How could we not serve? And none of us deserved it. None of us. There's not a person in this room who could say, well, I've done pretty well with my life. I think God owes me that. If you can say that, then let's talk a little more. None of us can say that, and yet he's given us all of this by his kindness and his love and his grace. So friends, there should be no task beneath us. We should be people who understand we are unworthy servants, and God is glorious, and he is worthy to be served. And we, we should not do so out of some kind of sense of him now being obligated to bless us. Yes, we will be rewarded. Yes, there will be those kinds of things. We don't want to ignore that fact, but we don't do them merely for that. We do it for the glory and praise of God. Our mentality should be, Lord, we are grateful simply to be here because we know left to ourselves we would not be. We're just happy to be here, happy to serve you, be it applied in so many different ways, whether that's taking a rotation with the children's ministry, amen, children's ministry workers, whether that's serving as a greeter, whether that's ministering in some capacity as a teacher, whether that's simply loving your non-Christian neighbor, simply being a wise steward with your time, talent, and resources, could be even giving up all you know here and going to the ends of the earth to plant yourself in some strategic place for the purpose of the gospel where people have never heard about Jesus. And serving the king is what we are about. That's the kind of church we strive to be, and we have a responsibility to model that for others, to show this community and the world how gloriously worthy the Lord is and how we happily, joyfully, humbly serve him all our days. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of ministry and work to be done until Jesus comes again. And we wanna happily give ourselves to it. Happily give ourselves to it. So think about these characteristics. These are traits of growing disciples. These are traits that Jesus was compelled to show his followers. And as we hear them this morning, I want you to first think and and look within and, and just consider before the Lord this morning, how you're doing in these ways, in these areas. How you're doing. Are these true of you? Are you growing in these traits? And are they true of us corporately as a church? Do these mark us as a church? Redeeming Grace Baptist Church has a high calling. Brothers and sisters, this here is the building project that we are ultimately about, a building project that lasts into eternity, to build up lives that are centered on the gospel, to build up men and women who cling to a big God with a genuine faith, and to build up followers who devote their lives in humble service to this glorious King. That's what we're building. What warrants us putting down roots, what warrants us taking the steps that we're about to take today to be a permanent visible presence in this community, it's this. It's because we're a building of people who love the gospel. We're building a people who believe the truth about God and cling to him in faith and we're joyfully serving him all the days of our lives. That's why. And I pray that you're committed to these things and more until Christ comes again. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and how it instructs us in so many ways. Father, as we think about a building project, Lord, we're excited about a building, a building that will house our ministry, a building that will be a launching pad, a mobilization center of sorts that will help us do more ministry. We're excited, we're looking forward to that. But Father, would you help us to remember that Ultimately, what we're building is a people who are transformed by your glorious grace. That we would give our lives in devotion to that foremost. Father, thank you for this text that reminds us of these traits that ought to mark us individually and corporately. Would you convict us when we are neglecting them, when we are failing to, maybe, maybe we're tempted to, to give over to to other world views, or maybe we've, we've allowed things to influence our understanding of the gospel. And Father, would you correct us in that? Would you protect us from error? Help us to be a people who joyfully and unapologetically cling to the truth and the gospel of grace. Father, it may be that we're struggling to forgive people, Maybe we're holding grudges, maybe we're bitter, maybe we're frustrated and we just, we don't want to forgive, but Lord, you call us to be a people who extend grace. Lord, we've been given much grace. How could we not give grace to others? Father, would you correct that bitterness in our lives and would you help us to lovingly, graciously embody the gospel by the way that we treat and love others? Father, would you help us to have a genuine faith, not to be concerned with levels of faith, but Lord, just the presence of faith. Father, would you help us to grow in our understanding of all that you are and the more that we see true of you from the scriptures, Lord, our faith will certainly cling to you. Would you help us, Father, would you help us to, to serve you all our days? Father, it may be that some of us find ourselves here today and we, we, maybe we've just not been serving humbly and joyfully. Maybe we've been serving with wrong motives today. Would you correct that and would you convict us and help us to repent Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us hope. Thank you for the joy that's ours because of what you've given us in him. We pray this in his name. Amen.